to. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, this morning, we're trusting that you are going to speak to us through your word. We desire that you would stir our hearts, provoke the right kind of thoughts in our head, uh, help us to tune out the things that would distract us, help us just listen for your voice so that when you prompt us or you give us some direction or you call us this morning to do something, that we would be willing to say yes to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two-week conversation on saying yes, and honestly, next week we're going to talk about pretty specifically the how, why of, of saying yes to this. And, and serving here, like some of these people have said yes, we're going to call it saying yes to the mess because you're not a mess, but the people around you are a mess. So this will be about connecting and serving um, this body in various ways. But this morning, we're honestly going to talk about an even more important yes. We're going to look at an epic passage of Scripture. So if, if you had to pick out, I don't know, 25 passages of Scripture that really zero in on uh, the essence of it. This would be one of them, uh, today's passage of Scripture. So we're going to unpack it a little bit. At the very end today, we're going to refer to another passage of Scripture, but we're going to spend some time unpacking this one. We're going to answer three questions on the way toward really understanding what this Scripture says to us, and we're going to talk about saying yes to God. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. And again, we're going to end up answering three questions about this passage so that we can understand it. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, and this is so awesome. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word as we read Romans 10, 1 through 13. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now that's going to be one of our questions. We'll get there in a sec. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal isn't based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God, sought to establish their own. They didn't submit to God's righteousness. That's key. Christ is the culmination of the law. That word culmination can also be translated end. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that's by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that's by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, parentheses, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, parentheses, that is to bring Christ from the, up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's, it's in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with the mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You may be seated. So today we're going to talk about saying yes to God. I want you to imagine 
your faith, your spiritual life, your connection to God, and we're going to use three different images for you to think about your own connection to God, how you do your religion, how you do your faith. Let's first of all think about a, a canoe. And you're in a canoe, and you're trying to get somewhere. You're trying to row somewhere. And that's the way, uh, by analogy, that some of us think about our spiritual lives. We're working really hard to be a good person or to be religious. And, and I've got to go to the right religious services, and I've got to say prayers, and I've got to do rituals. I've got to be a really good person. I've got to be a better person. We're working our brains out to be connected to God. That's the, the, the means by which we think we connect to God. For others of us, we need to imagine a raft. We don't know what's there, but, you know, as it comes, we have to take it, and we try to lay back and relax, but sometimes we're in the rapids, and we have to ride it, and maybe when we're laying back, sometime we get a splinter. We go wherever the current takes us. It moves us along. We're at the whim of fate or life or whatever, but I think the spiritual analogy that the life and ministry of Jesus would suggest, and that the Apostle Paul is talking about, is a sailboat. And when you're in a sailboat, you don't determine the thrust or the speed of the boat. The wind does. But you participate. You raise the sails, you trim, you tack to make sure you advance. I'm going to give you the don't miss this principle at the very beginning of the message today. So if you miss everything else, don't miss this. Here's our message. To have and to maintain a vital, life-informing connection with God, you have to say yes to him. And then say yes every day. To have and to maintain a vital, life-informing connection with God, you have to say yes to him, and then say yes every day. Okay, back to Romans 10. There are three questions that really come to mind. Number one, what does Israel have to do with us? What? Number two, how do we say yes to God? I mean, isn't that really difficult? And number three, what does it mean to say yes to God? Practically speaking, what does it mean? So first... What does Israel have to do with us? Why do we even talk about this ancient people? For that matter, why do we read the Old Testament? Did you know that the Old Testament was written, some of the documents of the Old Testament come to us from 2,400 to 3,600 years ago? What in the world does that have to do with us? And there is an answer to that question. So here it is. The people of Israel are a model for us. They're a prototype. As we observe their history, we learn about how God interacts with people when they obey and more often when they disobey. We learn what moves God's heart. We, we learn what loving God looks like and what dishonoring God looks like as well. We learn how often people in general tend toward the dishonoring side of the equation. When we observe the model, we get to see what God's provision looks like over the long term, even when it looks like he's not providing in the very short run, how he directs how he protects. Maybe more importantly, we get to hear God's people talk about all of that as they discover it for themselves. And we get to watch how they interact with this information about God and about themselves. The people of Israel are a model for us. This is what it looks like when you interact with God. Their history is a roadmap that provides really large-sized breadcrumbs which lead us toward a connection with God. 
They had a long history of interacting with God. This is why Paul is so anxious for them, wanting them to come to a full understanding of God's work. And specifically, Israel is a model for us in that they are a cautionary tale. They are a warning to us about not missing the main thing when it comes to saying yes to God. And that's what Paul is addressing here. So how do I say yes to God? Second question. Specifically, isn't being connected to God really, really hard? Don't you have to be super religious? Don't you have to get it all right? Isn't saying yes to God like working that canoe? Uh, Doesn't it mean I have to be super spiritual? It's interesting that this is exactly the thinking that God wants to counteract in this passage. Paul begins by noting that saying yes to God, hold on, does not depend on devotion or zeal about my religion or my beliefs. This is a word that I think Muslims and Jews and many Christians need to hear. Zeal is not an indicator of a real connection to God. Listen again to verses 2 and 3. For I can testify about them, the Jews, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own. That's big. They did not submit to God's righteousness. The Israelites certainly had zeal about God, but it was uninformed zeal. It didn't result in a connection to God. It wasn't an honest yes, or at least it wasn't an effective yes to God. Here's how one commentary I read this week explained this. And I've got this quote on the screen. I want you to see this. In spite of the earnestness of their zeal, he said, in spite of the fact that it is truly zeal for the true God, there is a disastrous flaw in it. It is not according to knowledge. Paul certainly does not mean to deny that they did not know God. They do indeed know God, and yet they will not know him as he really is. There's a lack of comprehension at the most vital point. It is a matter of seeing indeed, but not perceiving. Of hearing indeed, but not understanding. There is a perverse and obstinate ignorance at the very heart of their knowledge of God. And in the center of their dedicated and meticulous obedience, there is an obstinate disobedience. Verse 3 gave us the explanation, right? He said, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own righteousness. In other words, being devoted to God does not mean working my own way to goodness. Being connected to God is not a self-salvation project. We are not trying to live up to God's standard of goodness. That's not what it means to be connected to God. And yet most of us think about our religion in that way, as a kind of self-salvation project, whether we recognize it or not. I think of the rich young ruler. Some of you know his story from Jesus' biographies. Young guy comes to Jesus. He's got it all together, and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? I think of the young father that I went to the hospital to visit years ago. His newborn was in the NICU with serious problems. He wanted me to come and pray in the waiting room of the hospital. We got on our knees and prayed, and he looked at me and he said, Why is this happening? I've done everything that God asked me to do. I've gotten it all right. But this is not the way of things. Paul offers God's alternative in verse 4. Christ is the culmination of the law, or the end of the law, he says. What? 
And when he says this, he means that Christ is the end of this kind of thinking and living. Christ is the end of religion by being good. He's the end of finding God through my great spirituality and my effort. He's the end of the self-salvation projects. Some of you, if you went to college, you may remember the name Erasmus. He was a, a Dutch philosopher from the 15th century. He was called the greatest Renaissance thinker of Northern Europe. He said this about this, he was writing about this passage. He said this of the Jews, and I've got this quote on the screen too. It's evident that they had shamefully mutilated the law of God. I love this next phrase. For they rejected its soul and snatched at the dead body of the letter. They turned it into a list of do's and don'ts that they could check off. This remarkable passage, he's talking about Romans 10, declares that the law in all its parts has reference to Christ. And therefore, no one will be able to understand it correctly who does not constantly strive to attain this mark. I want you to allow me to circle this point again to make sure we get it, because Paul does. There's a way of doing religion that's really, really hard. It aims to build a connection with God by living up to God's standard or by being the right kind of person or by performing the right kind of rituals. It aims to be very, very good and through that goodness to attain to godliness and therefore to a connection with God. But this is not the true way of things. And Paul used Moses, the lawgiver, to prove his point. Look at verse 5. He says, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that's by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Paul is quoting Moses there. In other words, the person who thinks about religion in this way aims to get it all right. In fact, they have to get it all right. If the law is taken as God's full-on requirement and expectation for how we should behave, then you've got to get it all exactly right. You can't mess up at any point. Fulfilling everything that we're supposed to do, that would be the key. But this is not the true way of things. Herculean effort is not the key. Look at verses 6 and 7. Paul says, you don't have to ascend to heaven or go to the depths of the sea. In other words, it's not about your great effort. By the way, when Paul says this bit about ascending into heaven or descending into the abyss, he's actually riffing on Moses again. I want you to listen to what Moses said to the Israelites. I don't have this one on the screen, but I want you to hear it. This is what he's quoting. This is Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses saying this. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Moses understood that a connection with God was not accomplished by our Herculean effort. It is near you, Moses said, meaning you can do it. God has given you the heart for it, the desire for it, and the will for it. You just have to trust in God's provision. And Paul understood that God's provision had finally and fully come in Jesus. Hang on, I'm going to talk at the end of this, our time about what this means for Monday through Saturday. But I want you to hear again this epic section of Scripture with all of that as a backdrop, verses 4 through 7. Listen to this. Christ is the end or the culmination of the law 
so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses described it this way, the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that's by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, parentheses, that is to bring Christ down. In other words, you don't have to go, you don't have to work and, and reach up and grab the Messiah. He's already come. Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. You don't have to reach in and do work and grab the Messiah. He's already raised from the dead. Therefore, the way to say yes to God, simply put, is to say yes to God. With all of our passion, with our understanding, with our will, all in, yes. So here's how it works. Let me explain this quickly. God showed us his full requirement in the law. If you want to live by the law, here it is. Get it all right. Don't mess up even in the smallest iota. We could not do it which he knew would happen. And then he came in the form of God the Son and Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus lived a perfect life, completely fulfilling the law and all of its requirements. And then we ultimately killed him because he was too much out of the ordinary. He was too honest. He was too righteous. He was too much of what we are not. Then he rose from the grave. And now God allows his goodness and his righteousness, his fulfilling of the law, to be credited to our account. Not our effort, but Christ's effort on our behalf. His goodness, his righteousness is credited to us. And the death that we deserve to die because we disobeyed the law, he died. And his death is applied to our case, and now his life becomes ours. And what we have to do in response is raise the sail and say yes. Okay, what does saying yes to God really look like for me practically? Monday through Saturday, this coming week, what does it look like? Well, I'm going to answer that in the broadest terms. Here's where we started this morning. To have and to maintain a vital, life-informing connection with God, you have to say yes to Him and then say yes to Him every day. This is not canoe living this is not working our way to a connection to God. This is not a self-salvation project. But neither is it raft living. In our connection to God, we are required to participate. We are required to say yes. Look, it's not enough for you to say, oh, I've always believed. You have to say yes. You have to step in. You have to exercise your heart and your mind and your will. You have to be, first of all, stirred. In fact, for some of you, your connection to God has caused profound emotional moments in your life. For others of you, it has moved you with conviction. You have to be stirred. Secondly, you have to believe the story. You have to see what God has done through Christ. He's the end. He's the culmination of everything that's gone before. The whole story is about him. You have to believe in your heart. Paul said. And finally, you have to step in. You have to confess with your mouth. You have to decide to surrender. And then having done all of that, all you need to do is do that every day. Watch this video. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. 
You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. No? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. And... Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I... isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. Saying yes to God, simply put, means say yes. And then having said yes, say it every day. To have and to maintain a vital, life-informing connection with God, you have to say yes to Him. And then, say yes every day. Okay, I want to end with a quick look at another passage of Scripture that is another epic passage of Scripture. We're not going to pick this one apart, but we're, we're going to draw out of it a couple of unmistakable, bone-shattering truths that the author wants to make sure we know that impact us this week, Monday through Saturday. So I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Hebrews chapter 3, 7 through 13, and I want you to grab hold of the uh, couple of critical epic points the author wants to make, and to help you, I have bolded them. So he begins here in the same place. He begins with Israel as our model. This is actually a quote from the Psalms, and the Psalms are riffing on a time a few hundred years earlier when Moses was leading children in Israel out of the Exodus, and he's warning them about that period, and now the author of Hebrews is using that to warn us about this warning of... Warn, you get it. Verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And now the author of Hebrews is going to use that for us. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
Two epic points here that we can't leave without saying. Number one, our spiritual life, our connection to God is a daily yes. Having said yes, we say yes every day. It is a daily participation with him. And I know, I know, I get it. You are too busy to pray. I want to suggest to you this morning that you are too busy not to pray. When you wake up in the morning and you read your email quickly and you grab breakfast on the way out the door and then you are into your day, you're in, what you're saying essentially is, I got this. I can do today, but you can't. That is, your day has just become a self-salvation project. God knows what's up for you that day. You don't. God knows what's ahead of you. You don't. And when you and I run into the day and never think about him, we're declaring, I got this, but you don't. Our yes to God has to be a daily activity. You finding ways to connect with him each day. Reading this book, looking at the model, learning how to pray, learning how to raise those sails, learning how to trim them, learning how to set them, learning how to tack learning how to take advantage of the wind. The second thing that we cannot miss is our connection to God is a communal activity. Encourage one another. Brothers and sisters, see to it that none of you, evidently, not you, but the people around you are such a mess, they need your help. Evidently, we need one another to make this happen. Evidently, we can't get this alone. This business of of saying yes to God is a communal activity, which is why we don't apologize for asking you to serve. Because it's a little way for you and I to connect and to help one another. I want us to spend a minute responding. And this morning, I want us all to respond. I, I don't know what God has said or spoken or stirred into your heart. There are five or ten of you who had a moment this morning with something that we said about Romans 10 or one of the quotes or the video that we watched and you felt a trickle in your heart or in your conviction, a stirring from God. And I want to give us a moment for God to seal that and to deal with you and and however he wants and needs to deal with you. There are actually three ways three conditions that I can imagine us responding from or out of this morning. And I want to talk about that, and I want to give us a moment to respond to him. So let's create some space for God's spirit to move in your heart and mind. Let's do that by, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a minute. So let me give you three conditions. And as I'm talking Let's do our best to allow God all that we know of ourselves. Let's press into all that we know of him. and Let's allow him to speak. Uh, Condition one out of which I could imagine us responding this morning is there are some of you who have been practicing canoe living. I'm not talking about going to church. You've been doing that. You've been trying to be a good person. There may be some of us here who've been practicing raft living. Just wherever it takes me. I don't know what's out there. And you may have recognized today you need to say yes to God. You have never gone all in. Oh, I've always believed. And maybe you see now that's not what he's asking. That's a belief that's not effective. That's a zeal without knowledge. 
You've never confessed with your mouth. You have never believed in your heart. And during this song, I want you to do that. I want you to go all in with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. I want you to say yes to his good news. I see it now. And I've made this where I am right now. I've made that out of my own life. It's been a self-salvation project. And today, I want help. I want your salvation. I want, I want to encounter you. I want to experience you. I want to connect with you. I want you to say yes today. And if you do, I, don't leave without telling me. Second condition out of which I can imagine us responding is some of us have gone all in with God. We've said yes. You've trusted your life into God's hands based on the life and work of Jesus Christ. But you've not done anything with that yes. You haven't grown year over year. You've just spent another year in the same spot. You've not continued to participate with him, catching the wind of the Spirit. And this morning, you recognize that you need to learn how to say yes every day. You need to learn how to participate with him. Let him know that. Tell him that this morning and say, I'm in. Third condition I can imagine some of us responding out of is you've been operating your sailboat for some time. You've been learning, you've been trying to say yes, mostly every day. You're in. But you've gotten weary. You need God to restore to you the joy of his salvation. You need to remember those moments when your heart was stirred. You need to be quickened by him. You need to be made alive by him. would leave today without dealing with you. Stars were made to work. 
lips, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I.
great having you with us this morning and um, this week let's say yes go in peace